Hi, it's Chris. A few reminders. First, have you signed up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com? It brightens your Sunday afternoon with my thoughts, show notes, extra questions with guests, and more. This week's bonus question for Doris Kearns Goodwin, does Donald Trump exhibit any traits of a good leader? You can sign up at chrisreback.com. Next, if you like the podcast and the newsletter, how about supporting the effort? Become a member of Chris Reback's Conversations. Members get invitations to submit questions for upcoming podcast guests, exclusive early access to select podcasts, access for limited copies of recent guest books, a signed copy of my book, You Won, Now What? How Democracy Works from City Hall to the White House. Most importantly, you'll be supporting a podcast that I hope you enjoy. Other benefits will be added in the future, and we offer two tiers of membership, patron and superstar. Choose the one that's right for you at chrisreback.com slash membership. Finally, thank you to everyone who takes the time to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Several more of you did, and it makes a big difference. So if you like these conversations, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to iTunes, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. You know the parallel ask, though. If you don't like the conversations, well, thanks for still listening, but please just forget that whole rate and review thing. So, three items for the checklist. Sign up for the newsletter, become a member, and please rate. Thanks, and now let's get to the podcast. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Doris Kearns Goodwin. Do I need to say more? Seven books, multiple New York Times bestsellers, Pulitzer Prize. She is simply one of our nation's great presidential historians. And Doris has spent much of her career studying four of the best. Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, FDR, and LBJ. Now she takes a new look at all of them through a lens that, as you'll hear, feels as much a commentary about today as it does on history. It's titled Leadership in Turbulent Times. Doris explores the early signs, growth, and active display of leadership for each of them, looking not only for the green shoots sprouting early in their lives, but also how that leadership took over during the key, if not most important, moments of their presidencies. Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, Teddy Roosevelt's handling of the Great Coal Strike of 1902, FDR's first hundred days, and LBJ and civil rights. A great historian writes about yesterday, of course, but with a keen eye on today, making clear why earlier lessons, actions, and events help guide us in current times. Doris hits that one, too. It's impossible to read her book and not think about our current president. In fact, I asked her directly whether a book titled Leadership in Turbulent Times was an entire trolling of Trump himself. You'll want to hear her answer. It's a great conversation and a better book. Before we begin, though, I want to remind you about our show's terrific sponsor, The Cook Political Report, and a special offer for our listeners to get an 18% discount off all subscriptions. You know already. People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to The Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. And for Political Wire listeners, a special offer. You can use the code POLITICALWIRE to get 18% off all subscriptions. Just go to cookpolitical.com and use the code POLITICALWIRE. That's one word, POLITICALWIRE, to sign up and get 18% off all subscriptions. That's cookpolitical.com, code POLITICALWIRE. Okay, that's it. Here's my conversation with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Doris, thanks for joining me. I appreciate your time. 
I'm glad to be with you, Chris. So you'll forgive me. A book titled Leadership in Turbulent Times that looks at leadership qualities of four of our greatest presidents. I mean, I'm not the sharpest knife, and you are a historian <laughs> looking at history, but boy, that seems awfully heavy with subtext, Doris. Well, it is true that all of a sudden people are asking me, is this about today? Certainly the turbulent times is about today. But what I'm really hoping is that by using history as my guide, it shines directly on our troubled times. I mean, I really had no idea when I started this five years ago that the title would resonate so much today. It really meant that each one of the four leaders I chose came through really difficult times, far more difficult than ours now in retrospect. I mean, Lincoln, Lincoln comes in as the Civil War is the beginning, the country split in two. You know, he said he, if he had known what he would face during his first months in office, he wouldn't have thought he could have lived through it. Teddy Roosevelt came in with the Industrial Revolution, shaking up the economy even more than the tech and globalization have today. FDR comes in with the economy at rock bottom, hungry people riding in the streets, people feel the future of capitalism at risk, and Johnson takes office after the shocking assassination of JFK and the, the fear that maybe the murder is part of a larger conspiracy. Yeah. So each one of those situations are worse than ours, and we got through with the right leaders at the right time. So I'm hoping it gives people perspective on today. I, I think that it will. And, you, you know, we turn to our historians, of course, for views of yesterday, but also, you know, the lessons from yesterday and how they apply to today. So I, I do want to ask you, and I will ask you some questions um, about how it relates to today. But you, you just you, you know, you just mentioned that you did start this five years ago. That's mentioned as well um, uh, elsewhere that I've read. What inspired you? What was it that, that uh, was going on or that you were thinking about that inspired you that, okay, now's the time to uh, write a book solely focused on leadership? Well, I think, you know, I somewhat teasingly say to myself that if I were ready to move on to a new president, which often takes seven, eight, or nine years to get a new one done, I've often felt when I moved from one of my guys, from LBJ to JFK or FDR or Teddy Roosevelt or Taft, a little guilty, as if I were betraying an old boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. So this time I figured, what if I keep my guys together, but look at them in a new way, you know, through this lens of leadership? And I've been lecturing on leadership for de for decades, and it's a subject yeah. I've been interested in since my days in college and grad school. So I think that's why I chose to do this. And it, as I say, I chose the most challenging moments for each one of them in the last part of the book. So that's where the turbulent times came up. Understood. And do you see them then in different ways? I mean, is it possible as a historian for somebody who knows these um, leaders and these presidents and these men and these successes and these failures as well, obviously, as you do, having spent so much time um, focusing on each one of them? Do, do you see them in different light when you're when you're looking, you know, through purely this leadership lens? Or is it is this stuff that was kind of always in the back of your mind and, and you just found a, a better way to package it all together? No, I don't think I had really thought it through before. I mean, it's a much more personal look at them because when you ask the question, where did their ambition come from? Yeah. Or when did they first think of themselves as a leader? I really hadn't studied that early part of them, but I decided to start when they first ran for office because I was in a college audience and a kid raised his hand when I was thinking about leadership lessons from the White House. He said, how can we ever be one of them? It's too remote. There's Mount Rushmore. There's statues. So I realized if I started when they were young, and I didn't know as much about that when they run their first campaign, and they're going to lose 
and they're going to struggle and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to have swelled heads. And so that part was fun to just watch them go through that learning and then each one go through a terribly harrowing time and come out of it stronger. So that part was all new for me, just to think more deeply about them. And it's the kind of stuff you ask yourself. I mean, sometimes when I've been at you know, at, at business lectures and there's a dinner afterwards when I was working on this. So I'd love to ask the people when we'd have dinner. So where did your ambition come from? These will all be, you know, successful people. And it's interesting to hear all different ways. Sometimes, you know, it was because something was bad in the family and they wanted it to be better. And sometimes it's because they were beloved and they wanted to keep the center of attention. And sometimes it was because they had a teacher that made them feel good about themselves. So I love those kind of questions. They're questions we can ask ourselves, not simply of our politicians. And when you say you start early with these four, I mean, you actually start even before those moments of, of crisis, I guess. Or in, in, Well, I, I shouldn't use that word because you, later on you talk about the four case studies, let's call it, of crisis or, or transformation, yeah. et cetera. So, you know, even earlier than what you just described of as when they lose elections, I mean, you really talk about their earliest childhoods and and the relationships the the relationships they had and and it it varied i mean the the you know the relationship that uh lincoln had um you know with his father and then obviously with his stepmother um fdr uh you know the, the that age difference in the in the parents and the roles that they they that the parents played in terms of emphasizing you know the the outdoor and 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 the indoor and of course teddy roosevelt had that as well um was that which kind of came first? Did did you always know that you were going to go back to that earliest childhood part where the where the seeds of leadership or the seeds of who these people became evident to you in retrospect, or or did you kind of see them those seeds and then say, okay, now I see how this person became a leader? Yeah, I think what happened is when I decided to start when they first ran for office, I realized. Well, how did they get there? Yeah. What made them want to go into politics? What was the family's relationship to public life? So that brought me backwards. And, and the interesting thing was it shows there's no one path to leadership. You know, you think about how privileged the backgrounds were of the two Roosevelt's compared to Abraham Lincoln and, 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 and Teddy, and Teddy, no, and, L- and LBJ. And yeah. LBJ. Yeah. And, and then you also see that as you brought up, I mean, the relationship that Teddy has with his father is almost ideal. I mean, the father not only loves him, but becomes his tutor, tells him he's got to make your body, not just your mind, when yeah. he's seeming like too much of an invalid from his asthma. Whereas Lincoln's father would destroy the books that he was reading in the field, thinking that his son was lazy, and what was the point of education? And so you get, you know, it, it, it shows that there's so many ways that one can get that voice within that that's not just about politics. But William James, I love the quote he said, there's a certain moment when you find that voice within that says, this is the real me. And so success depends on finding that. And then it also depends on the incredibly hard work to, you know, to to make ordinary qualities extraordinary, as as Teddy Roosevelt said, they all they all had that it seems so pat, but it's so, so absolutely true. So I want to talk to you, of course, about the four types of leadership that you characterize, the transformational with Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation and crisis management and Teddy Roosevelt and the Great Coal Strike, turnaround leadership, FDR in the 100 Days, and visionary leadership and, and LBJ in civil rights. But just on this theme, and, and 
you know, getting to know them as characters. And I got to tell you, the, the telling of Teddy Roosevelt's relationship with his father and the shock uh, for Teddy when his father dies and the the role that, that the father played in, in Teddy's life, and you just described it, um, that was, it was quite emotional. As I mean, as I was reading it, I, I kind of, I mean, you really feel that. And that taught oh, me something. Oh, I hope so. I mean, I felt it too. <laughs> it, well, that, it, it comes across. And so that for me, alter, altered isn't the right, transformed uh, a little bit my personal sentiment about Teddy Roosevelt. For you, you obviously, you had a different relationship with, uh, and a special relationship, of course, with LBJ, but with any of them, did, did this work change how you feel about them? Did, did you, I know you said you learned new things. Did, did it change how you feel about any of them? You know, I suspect probably more even with FDR. I mean, though I'd written about Franklin and Eleanor in World War II, I hadn't really fully understood the depth of what it meant for him to get polio and mm. what it took for him to just be able to get in shape so that he could be in public life again. Um, the, the stories of just when he, you know, after the polio has paralyzed him and he's just crawling on the floor of his library so he can strengthen his back and his, and his chest. And then he tries to walk up the stairs, hoisting himself one stair at a time. And when he gets to the top, he just triumphs. You know, he says, we have to celebrate every big win. And then watching him at Warm Springs, which I hadn't really looked into again, because I started the earlier book in 1940, and bringing those other polio polios, as they called them, to not just get physical rehab, but to enjoy life again, you know, wheelchair dances and poker games and, you know, playing ball in the pool. There, there was a sense of watching him move from a, you know, a charming somewhat, you know, arrogant guy into this very different person who was so warm-hearted and could connect to other people to whom fate had dealt an unkind hand. So that was a pretty emotional thing that I hadn't learned before. I found myself thinking about um, what would Teddy Roosevelt, and you characterized earlier in this conversation, the guidance that his own father had given Teddy, who suffered from asthma, uh, about the, the importance of, of the physical and the body, what would Teddy have said to FDR as FDR was going through those struggles of strengthening body to, you know, enable the mind and, and, and all of that? Um, I don't know if you thought about that. He would have, all. he would have, no, he would have totally understood that. Mm. In fact, it's interesting much later in Teddy's life, um, after he's lost the presidency in 1912 and he's thinking about the possibility of running again in 1920. And he's got all sorts of ailments that came from that river of doubt experience at America. And he said, you know, you may not be able to walk again. And he says, I'll do it from a wheelchair. I'll be yeah. able to do it. I'll just strengthen myself. So I think, you know, they, they were very alike in that sense, that combination of the, the mind and the body. And I'm sure he would have been able to do it as well. He probably would have been even more crazy in exercising than FDR. Yeah, probably. He was crazy enough as it was, even without any kind of invalidism. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, that certainly would have would have been something to see. Talk to me. Let's go, you know, so, somewhat quickly, but 
you know, with the time that we have through the four types of leadership. Um, and again, and, and maybe there's one that, that really strikes you or you, you're most interested in, but, um, you know, the transformational leadership, um, of Lincoln and, and how he dealt with the Emancipation Proclamation, um, versus the crisis management leadership of Teddy Roosevelt, turnaround of FDR and visionary of LBJ. Did, did you, did you have in your own head, predefined you know qualities of leadership or these 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 characters of of, of leadership um, or, or did this come about as you looked at the situations these crises that these men went through and then you were able to kind of define what type of leadership it was yeah I think first I just decided that I wanted to pick the pivotal moments in their presidency so with FDR it could have been something in World War II or the 100 days, which I picked, but I, I did, the 100 days was new again for me, so that was more fun since I had studied World War II. Yeah. And the transformation of the Emancipation Proclamation was just obvious for what was the most important pivotal moment of Lincoln's presidency. And then um, once I got them down, and then I, I, I knew about the coal strike, but when I got into it more, I realized how incredibly dangerous it was to have a six-month coal strike where the miners and the coal barons could not get together and it was the, the fall was coming and there'd be no heat in schools and hospitals in new england it could have been a catastrophe and and then with lb day it was more complicated it was only when i read by looking at some oral histories the idea that the very first night after jfk died he's sitting in his bedroom with a couple aides they're watching everything on television and all of a sudden he just comes up and says i know what i'm going to do I'm going to get the civil rights bill through. I'm going to get the tax bill through. And then I'm going to get voting rights. And then I'm going to get Medicare and aid to education. And he gets all of them through. He had a vision of what was possible with his strength of dealing with the Congress. So once I had a sense of what kind of leadership it was, and I read a lot of um, business books that, are, that study crisis management or study transformational leadership or turnaround so that I could understand the qualities of it, because that was all new to me as to, well, not having study business and some of those books were really good so it was fun for me to learn from them what is the connection between power and leadership now that's a big question i mean some people would argue that in fact james mcgregor burns who's written a big book on leadership would argue that hitler wielded power um, but not necessarily was a leader that a leader has to somehow be able to mobilize a team the country world, whatever the forum is for him, to common action that betters the lives of people. And he has an ethical definition to leadership. Um, and I, I think there's something to that. If somebody just holds power and they're not able to produce a bond with the people that they're working with, they're not able to make their organization or their country move forward in a positive direction, maybe there's a definition of leader that's different from that. But these are those kind of questions there's probably no answer to, but they're fun to think about. Is there anyone who understood power in your mind more than LBJ? No, certainly of all of these, he understood that right from the start. I mean, I, I love the early oral histories that told me about when he first gets to college and he decides that the way to get power is to get close to the people who have power. So he wants to get close to the president of the college. Yeah. So he joins the outdoor janitorial crew and he he cleans up so much stuff that he gets promoted to the indoor janitorial crew mm -hmm. and then chooses to mop outside the president's door. 
and then, of course, starts talking to him. Next thing you know, he's inside the president's office, presumably as a clerk. Next thing you know, he's an appointment secretary. Next thing you know, he's sort of running the office. And that's what's so interesting. I mean, for him, you know, the climb to power was on one track. And then every now and then, there'd be this other track of really wanting to do something ambitiously for that power to to be remembered and to change things. And when he started out as a young progressive New Dealer, he really had that double track. I mean, he brought electricity to the Hill Country. Yep. He was the head of the NYA. Yep. But then I think once he lost that Senate race in 1941, it just pulled him back toward pure power of wealth and power in the Senate until he had a heart attack in 1955 and says to himself, what is this for? What's the power for? Unless what would happen if I die now? And it's then that he began to move back into that progressive person that he'd been as a young man. Pulling you a little bit into today, um, Trump and power and the way that he generates leverage out of anything, out of the willingness to take children from their parents' arms, if that creates leverage and, and creates a crisis. H have you started to do any thinking about Trump's handling of power uh, and, and how it compares to LBJ? Well, I think, you know, with Trump, I mean, he's, I think he's still in the stage of the power mostly mattering being what happens to him, you know, and how it comes back to his own person. Um, and, you know, there's, I, I remember finding something about, you know, Teddy Roosevelt obviously had the square deal, which he meant for the poor and the rich, the capitalist and the wage worker. And, and all of them understood the importance of face saving and letting other people have a part in the making of the deal. And that there's a quote from Trump that says, um, you hear lots of people say a great deal is when both sides win. That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> Winning mm -hmm. is always the goal. In the end, I always win. So sometimes when I read some of the things he says, it just goes against the whole grain, I think, of what I've studied, forgetting any policy views. Yeah. He, he said at one point that he had the very, very best temperament of anyone who'd run for president because he always, always won. He never lost. And obviously, all my guys, as, as was true, I think, in so many leadership positions, went through loss and failure, and, and as a result, were changed by it. Are you familiar with the internet term trolling, to, to troll somebody? Have, have you come across that term? Tell me, I know what, I, yeah, tell me what yeah. it actually so, means. So Urban Dictionary, <laughs> yep, yeah, Urban Dictionary says trolling, um, as it relates to the internet, internet is the deliberate act of making random, unsolicited, and or controversial comments on various internet forums um, with, well, it says, with the intent to provoke an emotional knee-jerk reaction, but I, in my opinion, that doesn't always have to be the case, from unsuspecting readers to engage in a fight or an argument. It's a little bit more, wow. it, it's a little bit more aggressive, mm -hmm. that definition, than, than I intended. But I, I got to tell mm -hmm. you, I couldn't help but feel, and, and I asked a little bit about it, of course, at the top, that the, the book, that you're trolling um, Donald Trump. It, and, and, you know, I know it's not, well, I believe it's not intentional. You'll tell me otherwise. But, you know, they're the parts, they're the quotes um, in the Lincoln. In, in the, it was the Lincoln qualities in particular, which struck me because 
um, I think it was just the other day, Trump said that his polling numbers are the best ever. I'm not sure if they had polling in Lincoln's times. They sure they must have had polling in Lincoln's times. And I'm I, I, yeah, I'm kind of butchering the quote, but but he he basically I think said that his polling surely must be higher <laughs> than Lincoln's was. I don't know if you heard that quote or, oh, or saw. Yeah, that. I did hear that. Yeah, one. yeah. I did hear that. So one. maybe I just had Lincoln on the brain. But but a couple things. You you write that Lincoln quote feared that in the chaos of mobile behavior, men of the likes of an Alexander, a Caesar, or a Napoleon would likely seek distinction by boldly setting themselves to the task of pulling down such men of towering, and towering's in quotes here, egos in whom ambition is divorced from the people's best interests were not meant to lead a democracy, they were despots. And then later, that's early in, in the book on, on Lincoln, and then later, starting around page 223, and this is in the section, you talk about Sewell and uh, Stanton and Chase and, and others, and, and you list these qualities of leadership. And, you know, one, understand the emotional needs of each member of the team. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm curious how Jeff Sessions would mm-hmm. feel about that. Refuse to let past <laughs> resentments fester. Transcend personal vendettas. These are the lessons that you that you apply based on Lincoln's actions. Set a standard of mutual respect and dignity. Control anger. Shield colleagues from blame. You know, need more be said. Maintain perspective in the face of both accolades and abuse. And then finally, I think what felt like your punchline, keep your word. So, right. Oh, no, I I think you're right. There's no question. What I think we should be looking at with President Trump is not what kind of president he is, but is he a leader in any of these definitions of what makes for a leader to be successful? Um, You know, humility, um, empathy, resilience, um, recognizing that deals have to be on both sides. Lincoln saying, I never willingly planted a thorn in anybody's side. There's, there's, there's no question that it's there without a word being said about him, I think. In fact, that speech that you're talking about is so amazing because he wrote it when he was like 28 or 29 years old, and there was a lot of violence going on. It was a Lyceum speech, given that's the kind of speeches they'd give around there. The speech that Lincoln the, gave, to be clear. The speech where he talked about Alexander, yep. yes, not, yep. not Mr. Trump, yep. Alexander and um, Caesar and worrying about an, an autocratic person coming when there's anxiety and violence in the land. And his answer was interesting. His answer to it must be reverence for the law. We must go back and read about the revolution and the ideals for which the country was founded because the scenes are fading from our history. Got to remember that that's the best way to counter this. And it just made me really feel this huge hope that by reading these people, it's going to make us imagine that we can have a different political structure. We don't have to accept what this is now. You know, FDR said, man makes problems, man can solve problems. And I think that's the larger goal. So hitting on that, not just about Trump, but about what we have to do as citizens. And Doris, to close out one, um, you actually won a negotiation with LBJ, uh, it, it, reading about it at the end of your book. Um, you said to him, sure, uh, Mr. President, I'd be happy to uh, work with you on your memoirs, but I got to do it part time because I've got this Harvard thing that I'm going to go teach and go do. And, and as I read it, his initial reaction, I think, to you was no. 
and you stuck by your right. guns as I'm ta- and and ultimately uh, he came around and said, "Okay, you know, Doris, you know, you can do it part time, and just don't let them change your mind about me." You know, up there at Harvard, how did you win a negotiation with Lyndon Johnson? Well, you know, I think what happened to me it wasn't simply that I wanted to be at Harvard and didn't want to go to the ranch, and I'm so glad I did end up going to the ranch. But yeah. it was also that I knew enough about him. I I'd stayed at the ranch. I worked with him during that last year or so to know that if you got in his power, you know, if I were there full time, that he would have power over me. And it wasn't, and I wasn't, you know, that sophisticated about it, but I knew I needed to have a foundation other than him. And that if I could come part time, I'd still have my life and he'd be part of it. And I think what happened is just as he reached out to me on almost that last day of his presidency before going to the ranch, he did say to me, and it kind of got to me, you know, it's not so easy to get people to go with you now when you haven't got the same power. So he knew how to get me in a certain sense, you know, once he dropped his guard and would talk in that vulnerable way. And I was prepared to, to not do it if that was what was going to happen. I had no idea that he would come back to, yes, you can come part time. And it would have been a huge mistake. <laughs> so I'm really glad because I've learned so much from being with him. And, you know, it's really what made me a presidential historian. It's changed everything in terms of my career. I was studying Supreme Court history in graduate school. Well, I I was going to say, I think that, yes, you benefited, but I I think that we all benefited. And then I didn't realize that on the Supreme Court. So that, uh, given the fact that we're in the middle of a Kavanaugh hearing, made me think, well, you know, when, when, when would the Supreme Court possibly be of grand importance? Doris, of course you wouldn't want to study that, but I think we're, <laughs> we're, we're all glad that you, uh, that well, the you. The presidents have been more fun, probably, I should say. I, Although I, I would have liked that. It always comes from a teacher. I had a great teacher at Harvard who taught Supreme Court history. You know, that, that's where it always comes from. And that's why I was in that direction until Lyndon Johnson yanked me the other way. He, he seemed to have had that way with people. Doris, thank you. Thank you for your time and, and for the terrific book. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I am so grateful that you read it. And thank you for talking with me now. That was my conversation with Doris Kearns Goodwin. Want more from Doris? A reminder to sign up for my free newsletter at chrisreback.com. It has bonus insights from her on the question, does Donald Trump exhibit any traits of a good leader? My thanks to Doris for the conversation and you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. I'll talk with you soon. Thank you.